week on page 180, David Kent of the Irish Examiner returns to talk all things Super Bowl and react to an incredible first weekend of the Six Nations for Ireland. Plus, I'm going to have a sports special edition of Fake News talking Jurgen Klopp, Vince McMahon, Taylor Swift and much more. All that and more still to come. You're very welcome to another edition of Page 180. And guys, it's obviously a huge sporting week. We're at one of the most exciting times of the year. Of course, this Sunday, like I said at the top of the show, we've got the Super Bowl coming up. And we're going to shortly have uh, Kento of the Irish Examiner on to discuss everything, all things Super Bowl with us. And like with that in mind, it's also kind of bittersweet because with the Super Bowl comes the last football game that's meaningful until... September essentially so uh, there is that element to it but of course there's a lot of exciting football uh, on our way in the meantime also the Six Nations started this week so uh, I love this time of year it's great it's jam-packed with sport which is one of my favorite things so we're going to have a sports special of page 180 today and with that in mind we're going to do a regular segment that we're bringing back here for season two of page 180 but we're going to make it exclusively sports themed and ladies and gentlemen it's time to get that underway because it's time for Ladies and gentlemen, this is your fake news. I'm your anchor for today, Jer Leggett. And in our top story, your least funny friend is really stressed trying to make a football pun about the tortured poets department ahead of Sunday Super Bowl. Ron, a neutral fan who was once told by someone that they should be a stand-up comedian and has never forgotten that, is currently praying for a Kansas City Chiefs loss so they can be the tortured poets in question in his pre-planned zinger following Taylor Swift's album announcement at Sunday's Grammys. I'm fucked if they win though, he's reported to have told friends despite nobody asking. The tortured Purging Department, the tortured Shanahan Department, the tortured McCaffrey Department, it just doesn't work! We wish Ron well and hope that after this Sunday, he can get a life. A New England branch of McDonald's have declined the option to hire Bill Belichick as their new manager after he insisted he needed to fill the entire McCrew with his relatives and former longtime coaches. A leaked report revealed that Belichick's vision to create a new McDynasty included old defensive coordinator Josh McDaniels being teed up for the role of McNuggets coordinator. You had former defensive coordinator Matt Patricia being groomed for a disciplinary role as head of Bugs, ensuring nobody does any smack in the bathroom. And Mullet and son Stephen was touted for the position of general light switches manager. The final straw for the executives in Belichick's presentation was when he brought in Mac Jones to show his cash handling skills and his former QB accidentally threw a bag of cash to a nearby thief. Jurgen Klopp's dream farewell at Liverpool continued as he ticked off yet another milestone last weekend. The outgoing German is hoping to complete the full Anfield experience before his summer departure and had his own we don't let this slip moment where he cocked up a Premier League from a seemingly unassailable position after Virgil van Dijk decided to just walk into Alisson, allowing Gabriel Martinelli to tap it in for Arsenal to complete a 3-1 victory. The only boxes Klopp now has left to tick in his glittering Liverpool CV is to back a star player amid racism allegations and to sell a club legend to Man United. I wish him well on both, particularly the latter. Uh, we'll take Salah to go, please. 
And finally, everyone is wondering what the last person calling Vince McMahon a genius did after the former WWE chairman's latest sickening spate of allegations. Twitter user stand underscore up in all caps, the number four and WWF said, don't care what anyone says, truth will emerge from these jealous haters and vindicate the genius of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Speculation has since been rife as to what type of sex offender this man is, with the prevailing opinion being he sends women unsolicited dick pics in their DMs because he clearly wouldn't ever have the confidence to approach and harass a woman in public. We'll keep you posted on this as we know more. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been your sports edition of Fake News for this week. I've been your anchor, Jerry Leggett. Now it's time to talk some Super Bowl. Alright guys, it is time to talk some sports. It's time to talk some Super Bowl. And joining me to do so is the man who always joins me whenever I need a chat about sports. It is my former Paddy's New Yacht uh, comrade and a person who, since the last time he appeared here on page 180, has become the foremost uh, analyst of darts in the entire country. Uh, and and, and he sh- as well he should, because if you listened to page 180, you would have heard him tip uh, a little-known prospect by the name of Luke Littler, who's now a superstar, going to be filling the tree arena next next month. Um, David Kent, joining us back of the Irish Examiner. You're very welcome. How does it feel now being uh, Ireland's foremost darts critic? I mean, it's, 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 it was described during the World Championship to me that I was like the Brian Kerr of darts. I still have that <laughs> on my Twitter uh, header. What, what great a compliment. The only thing I will uh, pick you up on there is that Luke Littler probably wasn't as little known as like Rob Cross was. People were yeah. probably saying left, right, centre, but not in Ireland, where it was like, oh, the casuals are like, oh, who's a 16-year-old or whatever? I'm like, yeah, you'll get to know him fairly quickly. Yeah, um, yeah my Aspinall tip didn't quite go as well, but we won't mention that. I'm still on a, <laughs> like, again, South Africa winning the rugby, Italy winning the Euros, Aspinall winning the match play. Still no reason we stop. Uh, that's it. We only focus on the things you call correctly, and we forget yes. everything we say that's wrong. Um, speaking we of which, we have a podcast about all of our wrong things. So, like, what? Yeah, no one listens to that. <laughs> yeah, we're get, we're giving ourselves credit these days. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, let's talk Super Bowl because this Sunday we go to the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The halftime show. You've got Usher, uh, no doubt, Little John and Ludacris not far behind them. Uh, you've got Jim Nance and Tony Romo, the CBS commentary team, uh, up for the task. I personally. I'm going to be in the Woolshed, our old friends from the Low Blows days, um, for yet another Super Bowl. I cannot wait. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. But before we get into some Super Bowl chat, Kento, it was uh, it was a postseason of mixed emotions for both of us, of course. Um, my Philadelphia Eagles, after starting 10-1, and one, just that was it. They just said, that's the season we're done. And they just kind of closed up doors, had a spectacular meltdown. Um, and Nick Sirianni, who this time last year, we were previewing the Super Bowl as a potential Super Bowl winner, now was getting his job speculated about. So uh, a vast change of fortunes for the Eagles, but a very different kind of surprise for yourself as a Green Bay Packers fan um, with Jordan Love catching fire at exactly the right time and nearly getting them there. Um, how are you feeling now after that postseason run? Because I don't think that postseason, I don't think anyone uh, was ready for that postseason from the Packers. I think you arrived a bit earlier than a lot of people expected, but very positive signs. Absolutely for the future, but it is still absolutely sickening. I like again. I remember saying it to pretty much everyone that I knew when it was all you're you're going to Dallas, and it's like that's not that's not an issue. We win in Dallas. We win in the big games in Dallas, so it's fine. 
and lo and behold, we were quite comfortable. But then the Niners came where it's like, you know what, if we can keep it within five or six, I'll be happy with that. We put up a good show, I'll be happy with that. And then you saw that we were whatever up by was it six or seven going into the last quarter, and it's just like we've seen this before because this exact scenario happened a few years back with Aaron Rodgers under center. Like again, uh, different quarterback, same result, but and like if you'd offered, I think if you'd offered every Green Bay Packers fan at the start of the season, you're going to be leading in the in the fourth quarter in the uh, in the in the playoffs in the second round of the playoffs, you would have snapped your hand off it. And like again, the amount of young players that have stepped up as well, where it's like you got twenty, twenty three, twenty four, twenty two, all over the pretty much all over the offensive sheet. Um, it's it's hugely positive for the future and. Look again to have the like everyone was expecting the drop off in quality. Okay, look, we went from Favre to Rogers, and there was no massive drop off. Like if it's a little bit with Jordan Love, it's fine. Then you're suddenly looking at it going, well, he's been sitting under Aaron Rodgers, who was sitting under Brett Favre, and there's two of the greats of all time at quarterbacks. Not the not the worst position to be in because again, as you say, like he's arrived and uh, it, all, everything is pointing up despite how the season ended in sickening style. Yeah, well, look, yeah, but at the same time, like you said, you were there and it is sickening because you were so close. And again, like Jordan Love making the impact that he made in the high pressure situation, that's that's huge. So again, yeah, but like, isn't it the most, how did we not see it coming? Just because Aaron Rodgers wasn't there, it's like they beat Dallas, they lose to San Francisco. And and it just, it's typical, uh, typical. Every time. Yeah, exactly, without fail. But they're, they're not unfortunately here, neither are my Eagles. Eagles never even ended up close to it. But it has been a weird season. Like, if you even look at the Eagles run alone, like starting 10-1, the one seed, looking the best team in the league, um, and then just nowhere to be found when it comes to the business end of the postseason. It's been a weird season. And in the end, we kind of expected a bit of a random Super Bowl at times where, like, could the Texans get here? Like, could the Bills end up going on a mad run? Um. But in the end, we find ourselves with two of the most successful postseason teams of recent times, the Chiefs and the 49ers. Is this a fitting Super Bowl for you? Do you feel like we've got the right Super Bowl or do you feel like this is just kind of one of those jumbled messes? I think just based off how close both of the teams were to not being there, it is a little bit of a jumbly one where you can't you can't say, oh, well, the Chiefs and the 49ers were the standout teams in the playoffs so far or even in like even in the last kind of couple of games in the build-up to the playoffs as well but as as you, as, you, as you say in terms of success in recent years they know how to win and they know how to get there and that's just down to experience and that seems to be what happened again if you look at how they how they won their games in particular um like the only like again i know i know i know a number of baltimore ravens fans who are, are similar to me looking at it going we had them we could have been like we could, we could, and possibly should have been there. But again, the chief, like the Chiefs, what it was it four and six years now? I think yeah. isn't there something like that? So, like you can't, you can't deny that they that they know how to get the job done in the in the when it comes to knockout football. And as you say, the Niners have been there before and done that as well. So, um, it is like it was a bit of a mess of a season. Like don't get me wrong, not a bad mess. Like it's mm. been inc- like it's been one of the more entertaining NFL seasons. Just. In terms of the amount of storylines, even the storylines coming into this one as well, now into the Super Bowl. So we can't complain as NFL fans overall. But yeah, just a, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's one we probably deserve, but it's one we got, so we'll work with it. 
I the more I think about this, the more I like the matchup though, because you kind of look at the advanced metrics and you the 49ers were the second in total DVOA in the league. The Chiefs were fifth, and they were the only two teams outside of the Cowboys and Ravens who Again, you can kind of say as good as their regular season were and with the Ravens as good as they were up until that championship game, kind of flopped when it mattered. So you can't really stand over either of those teams. They were the only teams who finished in the top 10 for both offense and defense on DVOA. The 49ers were just the best team in the NFC again. And look, that was on the card since last season when they traded for CMC. We've known this is coming. We know they were going to be a force to be reckoned with. I feel the Eagles last year had our run and we got lucky in a way with the health of the 49ers in the championship game. But um, this was coming and we knew it. So I've got no problem with the 49ers being here. The Chiefs are a little tougher to swallow because we've seen them be mortal this year for the first time, perhaps under Patrick Mahomes. Um. I never, but at the same time, I kind of look around and I'm like, well, who else? Like, I never fully believed in the Ravens. I kind of, it never felt real that they were going to go to the Super Bowl and dominate as we thought. Like, everyone was writing it and they were saying the 49ers Ravens and the Ravens stomped them on Christmas Day. But I just never felt it personally. I did like the idea of the Bills going on an improbable uh, run of the table from the brink of playoff elimination all the way to Vegas. But for me, even if I don't particularly like it, you know, I'm an Eagles fan. The The Super Bowl ending is very fresh in my memory. We felt like we had it at halftime and then Mahomes just did what Mahomes does. It does feel right for the Chiefs to be here. They are the dynasty of the NFL following Brady and Belichick and even if we don't like them at times and they're fun to root against, dynasties are good for sport. You think of Brady and Belichick in the Pats. You think of Phil DePera Taylor in our, in our darts. You think of Man United in the 90s. These dynasty teams are kind of a benchmark to measure other great teams up against. And if the Niners are to win here, it feels like they should have to go through Patrick Mahomes in Kansas to do so and right the wrong of their last kind of failed Super Bowls. Whereas if Mahomes wins... It only feels right that he do so. And it feels right that these dynasty teams beat the best teams of the day and stand up to the stiffest challenges. So I like it personally. But again, from a Chiefs standpoint, it has been un- uh, it has been unsatisfying. And the season itself has kind of been, for me, a tale of two seasons or two halves. So like the 49ers in the regular season looked absolutely unstoppable en route to the NFC one seed, except for that brief period where they had injuries and a few kind of disappointing losses. But even then they were kind of with asterisks because of the injuries. Whereas, uh, But then they got tested in the offseason in both games uh, by the Packers and Lions. The Chiefs looked extremely mortal, like we said, in the regular season to the point that they played their first ever away postseason games under Mahomes. But then since then, they've looked like the Chiefs you remembered. It's like, what crisis? There was no crisis. We're the fucking Chiefs. He's Patrick Mahomes. He's Travis Kelsey. He's Andy Reid. Um, I guess kind of with that in mind and the road to the Super Bowl and how it's diverging and changing in the postseason, what if any of those aspects actually matter to the game on Sunday? It's, it's, it was a really good analogy, that one, because and, and it reminds me very much of the Limerick Curlers now with the modern mm. kind of GA structure where it's like, if you don't get them in Munster, good luck to you. Because once they hit Croke Park, game over for everyone else. I just yeah, it's like it's like as you say, the as you said, the Niners like again, no even even when they went to a prop at their uh, their kind of down patch, it was still a case of ah look, they can lose they can afford to lose a couple because they're just going to get back to where they were. 
Now, they have had bigger tests, I would say, as it, well, as you said, in terms of the Packers and the Lions game. They weren't excellent against the Packers, but they still managed to get the job done. Whereas against the Lions, I thought they were more, um, they were better on offense, they were better overall. It's just that John, that, that uh, the Lions and Dan Campbell just went, right, we're going to go for everything. I think that was the kind of the game that they preferred. Mm. Whereas the Packers, it was more, uh, whatever, kill the clock nice and early. Good, trying to try and kind of suffocate them in, and again they they've been a more, they had a bit more of a test. Whereas, like I said, the Chiefs have just looked incredibly comfortable again, and the Ravens was again I'm going to use the word suffocate because that's all they did. It was like right, we're we're Patrick Mahomes, we're Travis Kelsey, we're Andy Reid doesn't care who's in front of him, he will just play his own way and he'll and he'll figure out a way to get through it. So it, like if I think I think that might be the only metric in terms of how they've looked so far. But even still, and the Super Bowls sort of one off. We've seen we've seen uh, seasons and games before where the team that has looked rock solid in the in the divisional and the and the conference games have then not not collapsed in the Super Bowl, but um have have not shown up what they've played like. I mean, I think I've stopped me head the Panthers and the and the Broncos Super Bowl yeah. fifty was one of them where it was like, oh Cam Newton, Cam Newton, Cam Newton and these Panthers. And then the Broncos just went, Nope, we're our defense, we paint man and see you later. It's just like that kind of thing. So yeah. I uh and again like it's it is an intri- it is an intriguing one because as as many people we where we had it four years ago and it's not exactly the same situation, but and we had Mahomes coming in as a lot younger. It's like, oh, can he can he get the job done? And now you're looking at him going, well, this is this is a guy who might well eclipse Tom Brady, given his age and given what he's already done in the game. Um, but it, it is it is very much an intriguing one. I don't know how I don't know what to read into. It's the only one I can really look at, and even like we'll get onto it in a few minutes. But in terms of predicting it, I, I I'm 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 struggling already. Yeah, it's a tough one. I. Yeah, like again, and you have to remember it is a one-off game. And again, we will get into predictions, so I don't want to get too much into that. But I think that's where we have to kind of look at the crux of what matters and what doesn't. Uh, and Kendall, you're more than familiar with my Super Bowl uh, predicting formula. So, uh, but I'll bring everyone else who isn't across it when we get into that. But first off, let's get it out of the way. And let's just discuss it because it's what everyone wants to discuss. Taylor Swift is going to be there on Sunday, almost definitely, even though she has her Saturday night gig in Japan for a dramatic uh, appearance to kind of complete her takeover of all of American and indeed world culture. Like she's just one culture. That's it. <laughs> Officially, she's going to be there. Um, I'm just going to be, ask a nice open question for you. What are your thoughts on the kind of Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey love story? Its impact on the NFL? Is it going to have any impact on the game? Or are you predicting, like, are you one of these that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think you'd be a conspiracy theorist saying that the NFL want to win it, but uh, if you are, speak now. Um, or do you feel that, like, we might see a proposal afterwards? What, what are you taking or what are you looking for from this? There are many things that you could criticize Taylor Swift for being the boyfriend of, or being the girlfriend of an NFL player is not one of them. It is so far down the list, even in the terms of things that are actually important in life. Who a celebrity decides to be in a relationship with, it's not going to impact. It doesn't impact me on a daily basis. I'm not like, again, I've no massive issues with Taylor Swift. I'm not exactly a Swiftie, but you know what? She's fine. I'm going to see her next year. I'm going to see her in the summer. That's, that's grand. I, I like the amount of angry and again let's call it space space the angry men who say yeah. oh it's rigged and oh my team lost because the ref didn't want to give the Chiefs a flag because Taylor Swift is on the television it's like well the Packers beat them in Lambeau uh, and Taylor Swift was there so how does that fall into it just off the basic thing if you think the NFL's rigged for Taylor Swift that would mean the Chiefs 
won, win the majority of their games and they have lost when Taylor Swift is there. The amount of people who are now watching the NFL because of Taylor Swift, I would argue far outweighs the amount of people who are giving out about Taylor Swift being in the NFL or being featured and being the camera cutting to Taylor Swift and Taylor. Like, like just let people live, let people enjoy things. Like, why, why, and again, this comes back probably from my line of work as well. What is the issue with having this entirely new audience discover a sport that we've liked all our lives and that we enjoy regularly enough? And it's, let's call it, like, again, it's niche over here, obviously massive in America, but there are people who are going to be tuned in to the to the Super Bowl on Sunday, and it'll be their first ever Super Bowl. They probably don't even care about Usher. They don't even know who's playing the halftime. They probably don't even know half the players. But because Taylor Swift's there, they have an interest in it. They can then become a fan of it. Again, I'm, I'm, I'll bring it back a bit based on some darts as well. How many new, how many new darts fans? How many new people picked up a dart in January because they saw Luke Litter and they saw that run? It's like right, there's your new market. There's a new audience. How how is that a bad thing? You know, mm. it's. I yeah uh, I'm I have not have zero issues with Taylor Swift. I don't believe it has any impact on the refs. I don't believe it has any impact on the storyline. Let let people enjoy things. Yeah, I agree. Uh, look, it's and I, I the only thing I feel kind of angry about is all these Swifties coming in supporting the Chiefs and then they get a Super Bowl their first season. You know what I mean? I'm like that's that just feels, but that's just the the bitter Eagles fan in me. It'll uh, come back around. Managing. Don't worry. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, but then then they'll go. Um, but no, I agree. It is a good thing. It makes it interesting. It's a really good storyline. Let's let's call this spade a spade. Taylor Swift a week after winning the Grammys announcing her new uh, album. Uh, and then coming out at, at the Super Bowl and cheering on Travis Kelsey, there's going to be a million camera cuts to her. This is going to be a great TV moment. This is going to be like the Super Bowl is never on reeling on the reeling on the years, but this is going to be reeling on the years because Taylor Swift is there. Do you know what I mean? It's um yeah, it it, it it it's just it's just a good thing. Like let's just and it's all like you say, it's right wing men um who are afraid that she's going to endorse Biden like a lot of the time, or it's bitter fans who just want to start carving their excuses early on. Um, But it's not actually relevant to the matchup. So let's talk about the matchup itself. First off, I want to touch on the coaching battle because um we're getting two of the maestros of the modern game in Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan meeting in their second Super Bowl in uh four years, I think. Um. 2020 was obviously the, the last time they met with the Chiefs emerging victorious. Who do you see having the edge here? Is, do, will Reed go in with a psychological advantage having won that and having been there, done that? Uh, or is Shanahan going to benefit from having the hunger, from having the the tools of his arsenal? And, and, and what do you think kind of the, the, the game plans would be like? How, how do you see all the coaching battle play out? I think um, Shanahan will... will... Pure, will be approached as kind of way like this is your opportunity to right the wrongs of four years ago and he remembers that Super Bowl would say that 49ers kind of collapsed in the last quarter where it was like I think they had a 10 point lead going into it and you're looking at it going right 10 point lead in the final quarter of Super Bowl and you blew it was that down to coaching nerves and down to experience maybe so whereas now it's like right the lights are on bright again everyone's watching you're in a, I think you're in a better position this time because people know what to expect and you know what to expect in the Super Bowl but then it's like the final. It's like Andy Reid is now the final boss for many people. Where it's like the man who famously couldn't win a Super Bowl now has this generational team, this generational quarterback in this franchise, like firing in all cylinders. Where it's again, it's like when Roman Reigns' music hits at the end of a match, and it's like, oh great, you've you've outlasted everyone else. Here comes Andy Reid, and he's got a cheeseburger in his hand, <laughs> and he's just like, 
no risk and no biscuit. So, like again, like that, I don't think I can't see them changing any of the strategy, either strategy that I've got them to here so far. Depending, like it's 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 one of the things I think was it Brian Balding used to say, where it's like if you put your entire coaching plan on one game in the regular season, you'd be seen as maybe like be a laughing stock. Whereas it's similar enough in the Super Bowl, where it's like you don't do it if you go oh, what works. And if you think you've got what it takes on defense as well to stop what the other person's doing, because it's unlikely they're going to change, then it should be all right. But yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give the advantage to Andy Reid just purely off what he's done so far. Um, but again, Shanahan, I, I would, I would imagine, is taking this as a way to, like, like I said, to go right four years ago, left it behind us. Let's 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 go fix let's go fix the mess and let's go fix the uh, right the wrongs. Um, Again, we'll get onto the players in a minute, but it it is a really is a fascinating one. Yeah, I think I love the coaching battle here, and I agree that Andy Reid has the experience edge, but Kyle Shanahan and the fact that this is against the Chiefs, the fact that there's so many of the players. I know there's a lot of players that weren't in the the last Super Bowl they met, but there are a lot of the nucleus of the team still there. I think his team talk writes itself. I think the motivation writes itself. I think it being Andy Reid and the Chiefs um, will mean that San Francisco will be more ready for this than perhaps the team who may have felt walking into the games against the Packers and the Lions that, that it was a foregone conclusion. So I don't think we're going to get a... I don't think we're going to get a 49ers who start slow and who kind of just... Uh, I don't think we're going to get the same 49ers we got and the talent is just there. What I love about the coaching battle most is that Kyle Shanahan is Andy Reid before Andy Reid won the Super Bowl against Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> He's the guy who has the best teams, has the best strategy, is innovating in terms of offense in the league, and just can't win a Super Bowl. He can't get over the line. And here he is playing Andy Reid. So there's that storyline that's set up here. And when you look and dig into this matchup, as cliche as it may feel and as unsatisfying as it may have felt to see kind of the Lions and the Ravens get, get dumped out in the championship games, this is a great Super Bowl from that. You have, but even beyond just the head coaches, you have Shanahan with the best offense in the league against Steve Spagnuolo's defense, which is the best defense in Andy Reid's tenure with just... 15.6 points per game allowed this season, which again, the Chiefs have always been known for offense. They're a defensive team and that's how they win the postseason games. Where the 49ers do have a matchup advantage though is in their elite rushing offense headed up by Christian McCaffrey, obviously. Many people calling for him to be the league MVP. Though that campaign kind of died as soon as they got trounced by the, the Ravens. Uh, and again, it's very, very difficult for a running back to win, but he is probably the most valuable player on this team. Against the Chiefs' rushing defense, which is mere mortal, and was 27th in efficiency uh, this season. Shanahan also, what makes the 49ers dangerous for me is he's found new ways to win. Like, he, like in the playoffs beforehand and, and kind of the regular season, I think, as well, whenever his team were losing at halftime, I don't have the exact stat to hand, but I think it was something ridiculous, like 1-31. You know, he he won one game in 32 games whenever his team were losing at halftime. But he's right at that ship now. The 49ers can come back. They've done it twice in a row. So if you think that this is Shannon's Andy Reid moment, there's a lot to like about that. But the problem is that Andy Reid is almost, if you want to further that comparison and ask what was Andy Reid's kryptonite, it was Bill Belichick. And Andy Reid... It's almost Kyle Shanahan's Bill Belichick. So 
maybe that's what's going on here as well. Um, I think in terms of matchup and in terms of like strategy and X's and O's and stuff like that, I think if the Chiefs are to win, they'll need to do it via defense. They'll need to bully Purdy. They'll need to get at him and they'll need to force Brock Purdy and they need to force him into mistakes and so on. I think they can do that with the defense. Um, but Shanahan just has so many offensive tools at his ar- in his arsenal. He's been planning for this. He has a weakness in the 49ers. He has a he like there's one very glaring massive strength for the 49ers and one very glaring weakness for the Chiefs. So it's a really finely poised matchup. And that's not even to speak about the quarterback game because that is a huge storyline in itself. It is someone in Patrick Mahomes who is going for the GOAT record, uh, going to be the new Tom Brady, essentially. That's what his goal is against Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the guy who was literally picked last in the draft and is now, was in the MVP contention himself this season. It feels stupid to say who has the advantage between Pat Mahomes and Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's been the better quarterback coming up to this. Maybe not in the offseason, but in the regular season, he was the better quarterback of the two. How are you looking at the quarterback battle and where do you see the advantage lie there? I mean, it's like you say about Purdy, Mr. Rebel, but also was one of the, they drafted his replacement as well in Trey Lance. And, or let's say like not replacing Garoppolo's replacement, but it's like, oh, between those two, it's going to be uh, Purdy or Trey Lance. And now look where Trey Lance is. He's, did he get cut by the Cowboys, I think, at third screen? Yeah, so, so. Like, that's, that's, that's another aspect. To, in terms of, like, when it comes to quarterback, obviously, a lot of it is what they can do when scrambling and that's where Mahomes obviously beats him. But, Brock Purdy doesn't have to really scramble because of the, as you mentioned, the offensive weapons available to him. If you're looking at the white, like the passing receive, uh, passing and the receivers in these two teams, I think there's it's a complete mismatch. If you take Travis Kelsey out of the Kansas City Chiefs offense, you're looking at lads who might even like might be a bit dodge on it, where it's like Rasheed Wright, listen, brilliant rookie season, excellent. Uh, but then like Kadarius Tony, the story Kadarius Tony is that like kind of sums up the Chiefs wide right receiver, where he's looking at the at the Niners, and he got Ayuk, he got Samuel, he got George Kinley, like three absolute studs, and then C-Mac coming out in the backfield as well. If he wants to, if he wants to check down or throw a screen or whatever. So, like again, it's 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 one of them fascinating ones where you've Mahomes, you've Mahomes who can do absolutely anything with the ball in his hand if he needs to. If he's scrambling right, he can throw it, no look across his body. Then you've Brock Purdy who never really has to do that because he's got the weapons, he's got the good offensive line to protect him, and he's got uh, he's got a, a, a serious weapon of an arm as well. So it's uh, it's it's a clash of styles where if obviously if you give him Mahomes, if you give Mahomes two seconds, everyone has seen anyone who's watched the. Uh, the quarterback series on Netflix, you can see um, all the thought processes behind Mahomes and how he approaches the game, and it's very much a case of, oh, listen, I can, I, I can do anything, and if you give me the time to, I will hurt you. Whereas, like again, Purdy, Purdy with some consistency, where it's like, oh, I can, again, it's, it's very similar. Maybe not as flash, but again, he doesn't need to be when he's got when he's got the the weapons available to him. Like it, it's like you said, like I said in the intro, it is silly on paper going, well, you've Patrick Mahomes, who is probably the next Tom Brady, and you've Brock Purdy, who definitely isn't the next Tom Brady. He's the next, I don't know, Alex Smith or something like that, possibly. But like, um, it's, 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 it's like, again, it, in terms of, I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into this being more of a better matchup than what I said originally now, because you're, you're helping out here massively just by bearing it all out. But when you look at it on paper, like it's just on paper, it should be one way, but in reality, it definitely isn't. You say Brock Purdy definitely isn't Tom Brady. I know, I know where you're going here. 
<laughs> you say that. But here's one thing that I want to look at because we spoke there when we're kind of comparing the matchups in this Super Bowl, okay? You spoke there about how we, we recently spoke when we are comparing the coaches, we said that maybe Kyle Shanahan is the equivalent to Bill Belichick, what Bill Belichick was for Andy Reid. And if Bill Belichick was the ghost of Andy Reid's Super Bowl dreams, Tom Brady was the ghost of Patrick Mahomes' playoff dreams because Mahomes could never, ever get past Brady. And he only really had this success when Brady kind of started to wind down. And they met in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Uh, again, Kansas City Chiefs, best team in the league. Brady was just Tom Brady with the Buccaneers on his back. Who won that match? Tom Brady, every time. So for me, actually, I'm going to flip the point you just made. And I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes can never, ever be the GOAT. He can never be that, no matter what he does, no matter the numbers he puts up, because every time he played against the GOAT, and he was great in every single one of those occasions, but every time he played him, he never, ever won. Tom Brady had Mahomes in his back pocket. He can never be the GOAT. Brock Purdy, however, that still could, in theory, happen. And I'm not saying Brock Purdy's the best quarterback to ever play it. I'm not saying Brock Purdy's been better than Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to say anything crazy like that. But I'm just saying that the Brady comp is really strong in Pur in Purdy, who, of course, as we said, is a former Mr. Irrelevant. He was drafted last in the entire NFL draft. Tom Brady wasn't drafted last, was dra but was fairly slighted and fairly looked over. And the Patriots got great value on that draft pick. And again, I'm just saying that someone funneling that anger and building towards it again, like who's the person that, like, I, I, you know, if there's any person in the league that currently is potential Tom Brady, it actually is Brock Purdy. And Purdy as well, when you look at his metrics, he has been the better quarterback this season. He's had success throwing against every single kind of coverage, okay? When you look at the coverages that he's had to face and what he's done with it, he's finished first in the league against zone coverage, against the blitz, against play action. He's finished first in success when he's not pressured, when he has under three seconds to throw the ball, when he has over three seconds to throw the ball. Uh, he's just been elite at every stage. He has weapons around him, yes. I don't want to, uh, like, let that go unnoticed, but as well, he's done what he's needed to do. However, Mahomes is Mahomes, and his Tom Brady comparison is that regardless of if he's the best player in the regular season, regardless of if his numbers are the best, regardless if if he does the best things or has the best highlights or has the best advanced metrics, he wins. He wins when it matters. He's got that track record of winning whenever he needs to, unless he plays Tom Brady. The guys who are great on paper, like Jalen Hurts last season, as much as it pains me to say this, as an Eagles fan, Mahomes just finds ways to be the best and keeps coming back no matter what. So it's a tough one, but all I'm saying is Mahomes can't be the GOAT. Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy could. I'm just saying it's still open to discussion and that uh, could start this Sunday. So, Kento, let's get to it, okay? I want to know your predictions. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know what do you see? And we've kind of talked through the potentials of the matchup and where the matchup sits. When you have to nail your colors to the cross, who are you picking here? Why are you picking them? Where, what do you see as the important factors? Are you thinking about any bets or anything? Obviously, we spoke, we used to speak about bets quite often on Paddy's New Yacht. How's this sitting with you? 49ers Chiefs. 
Um, I, I've been a convert of your kind of Super Bowl betting strategy in the last few years, and I'll let you explain that to any new listeners in a, in a little bit, but a lot of it is based around storyline. And as much, like, again, it's it's it's, it's really funny to watch it and to make these Belichick and Brady questions. You have the new dynasty, you have this new monster coming, where it's like, oh, who's, who's going to step up uh, when, when, when Brady and Belichick go? And it it was it was it didn't even take their their graves to be warm for the Chiefs to just go all right we're stepping in here this is this is our thing now. But then you remember on like the big thing is four years ago it's the rematch. What happens? What happens when the bad guy wins in wrestling? It comes back to the baby faces and they get the eventually get the win unless you're called Cody Rhodes. But we'll get to that and like that's another story for another <laughs> podcast. The San Francisco 49ers are not Cody Rhodes. Um, they're not the Rock either, for that matter. Even though he introduced them in that uh, in that Super Bowl four years ago, he did that big intro video. I am riding with the Niners here. Ooh, I'm going nice. against everything that I usually would like in terms of. I think previously on like in previous shows and in previous uh, betting scenarios with other sports, it's been like go with what you know, go with what you've seen before, and you know what works. You know the Niners have been in the Super Bowl, they've won it, they've learned in the Super Bowl and lost, but they've learned from that and they've come back and won again. I just don't see them doing it here. I think the Niners have got something. I think the Niners, in terms of the prongs and the attack, like you said, Brock Purdy, very, very comfortable. C-Mac, run defense. Like, the Packers did an amazing job to limit the Niners early on, but that was purely because they ran the clock down. They ran nine minutes. They took a nine-minute drive in the first quarter. So, like, again... If you if you if that had been two minutes, you, I would have I would have been a lot concerned about Seema coming back and coming back against a run defense, a poor run defense like the Packers did have under Joe Barry. Then you got Kittle, then you got Samuel, then you got Ayuk, then you got Juwan Jennings, who was turned into this this uh this reliable player for him as well. And like against the Chiefs D, listen, they've been they've been rock solid as well. Spagnoli will draw concepts for them, but I just I just I just want I think I've got. I've got the Niners, and I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't, I can't, I can't remember what the what the exact line is for points. Things around forty-eight. I've been looking at the under there. I know four years ago it was fifty-one. Again, you can talk about, you can talk about how much they've scored this year. I just can't see it being that really kind of blowout, kind of back and forth one like I've seen with the Niners against the Lions. Um, I've actually, I've, I did look at the odds earlier and I saw seven to one for a pick six for the Niners. Which I can see happening, and not down to Patrick Mahomes throwing a bad pass. I think Patrick Mahomes throws a good pass to one of his receivers, who, like we've seen so often this year, tips off his hands, can't catch it. Niners take it back the other way. I think it, I was around seven or eight to one. I'll probably be sticking a fiver on that just to be to be smug when it happens. Um, but I'm I'm going with the Niners. I'm going with the Niners by maybe about maybe a field goal between like nothing. It's not going to be about fifteen points, but I think maybe sit. Three to seven, one score game in favor of the Niners. Okay, I love how we're both going off my Super Bowl betting logic, but we're going slightly different directions. Okay, so to bring anyone who doesn't know my betting logic, okay, and this is how you bet the Super Bowl, and I have a great track record. Not to brag, because there's certainly a plenty of areas where I've no luck in when it comes to betting. Okay, but when it comes to Super Bowl, say for last year, but that's I've got an excuse. The Eagles were in there, but it was emotionally compromised, um, and I wasn't in my right. I was. It wasn't possible for me to be in the right uh, state of mind. 
Now that I'm neutral and whenever I am, I tend to do well on this. And here's why, okay? Because I recognize one thing. The Super Bowl is not a matchup about the best two teams in the NFL. And it's not about, and the team that wins it isn't the best team in the league. The team that's performed the best, that has the best players, that's the best anything like that. We've seen it so many times over the years. The Super Bowl is a powder keg of unknowable pressure um, that people have to deal with. And who thrives through that kind of pressure? The people who have the motivation, who have the belief in themselves, who have that uh, almost narcissistic feeling of a God-given right to win because they feel like they're riding a train. And like Kento hinted at there, I feel that the Super Bowl is won. It's basically a sports movie where the best story tends to win so many times. Again, you kind of brought it up there. Peyton Manning walking away into the sunset after the worst season of his life against the Carolina Panthers, who were the clear best team in the league. Time and time again, the Chiefs against the, the Bucks. Tom Brady wins one more, proves that he can't, uh, proves that he's better than Bill Belichick and he wins a Super Bowl without him. Despite the fact that they were playing the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, who were clearly better than that team and Mahomes was clearly better than Brady that season. Uh, but it just worked. Works that way, and what? And then you kind of have to look at who has the best story. What is the story that we are being told in the run up to it? Which is why the question earlier on was important. So I think then you need to look at what the story this season is trying to tell us, rather than who you think the best team is when you dissect the X's and O's. And then what you do is you say to yourself, in terms of like matching up, uh, mapping out how the matchup is going to go, you go, if that team is going to win because they have the best story, how would they do so? And that's where you get your MVP picks and that's where you get your, your, your prop bets and so on and so forth. And unfortunately... The story we're being told in this offseason is that the Chiefs have been challenged in a way we've never seen them being challenged before. But every single time, Reed, Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey have found a way to shake it off. Every single time, without fail. The narrative we've see, been seeing in this, in this playoffs is that the Chiefs continuously interrupt whatever the plan narrative is and humble the so-called best team, okay? The Bills are going to run the table. They're going to come back. It's going to be amazing. Josh Allen finally going to get a Super Bowl moment after we thought he was on the brink of elimination. No, the Chiefs neutralized that shit. Lamar Jackson, the league MVP, they've had the best season. They've been the best team. They killed the 49ers on Christmas Day. The Ravens are unstoppable until they met the Chiefs. It doesn't matter what we think or what we want. Want to happen the Chiefs are just the best team in the same way that it didn't matter when Brady and Belichick were doing it back in the day and they just won 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 whether again Brady against the Legion of Boom in Seattle the Legion of Boom the best team in the league unstoppable defense until they met Tom Brady this is the way it happens time and time again we've seen this all over and over uh, and they find ways to win because we are living in the Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid era I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs to cover in my bet but I also think that they'll win in terms of if they are to win, they do it by limiting the 49ers offense. So again, similar to you, I'm taking the under on this, although I think it's going to be a close one. It's under 47.5. Uh, I'm going to take that as a double with the cover. Um, I don't see Mahomes losing, uh, but I don't see how he wins if it becomes a shootout because again, the 49ers just have more weapons. So again, if the, if the Chiefs are going to win, and I believe they are, they have to keep it low and they have to neutralize it. How do they do that? They get to Brock Purdy. They take him out. They make him 
him make mistakes. Brock Purdy is in the biggest game of his life. And again, not to blame Brock Purdy for the loss to the Eagles last year, but the Eagles roughed him up. They bullied him and they literally injured him and took him out of the game. He can be bullied. He can be roughed up. We've seen in this offseason, he can make mistakes. I know this flies in the face of everything I was just saying about Brock Purdy, but I'm just fucking with you like a good broad broadcaster can. <laughs> but I think they're going to, Spagnolo, Spagnolo is going to make them run it through. So then you got to look at, right, who scores a touchdown and how do we get like some money off that as well? Well, what the, the 49ers know the Spagnolo is going to come for Bur Purdy. They know Purdy's young. They know we can be rattled. So what they're going to do is they're going to run it through Christian McCaffrey. And how many times have we seen that? We know what their game plan is going to be. That's the weakness in the Chiefs. They know that it's coming, but they can't stop him because he's Christian fucking McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is nailed on for getting a touchdown in this game. Back the house on it. It is easy, easy money. I'm also shocked that I'm only getting evens on Travis Kelsey from Paddy Power to score anytime. That is easy money. Of course he's going to score. Of course Taylor Swift is going to. Like, if I could, I'd put money on him scoring in the first quarter. I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. But, like, I really think that he's going to score in the first quarter and you're going to see Tay-Tay celebrating and that's going to create the tension that we then live in for this tight, tight contest. So I'm going to do another double and I'm going to put McCaffrey and Kelsey together for scoring any time touch, touchdowns. I'm so confident in this pick that I'm even looking at like just packaging the four of them into one big bet builder and just sticking 20 quid on it. You get about 300 quid for that. Uh, but again, it is something that we could absolutely see happening. And then I'll add some fun props. Uh, like my always reliable bet on a safety. Just It's always fun. It, it, it's a way you win. My favorite Super Bowl watching and betting moment was the moment after after that amazing uh, finale to the Pat Seahawks. Um, and the, the Pats just had to kneel down in the end zone to ice the game, which of course led to a safety. And then after all, everyone is celebrating, it's just me and the Wolves head going, yeah! It only has to happen <laughs> once. Like, that's all. Like, you, for it to be the best bet you'll ever make, it only has to happen once. That's all, and that's, that's got you sorted for the next 10 years. Exactly, exactly. There you go. I'm still talking about this. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna post my full bets on socials uh coming closer to the day. But yeah, I'm going Chiefs to cover uh under bed uh and then McCaffrey and Kelsey to score. I love how we've just swapped roles as well. Like I said, usually I would be the one who's going, right, go what you know, like Tom Brady wins like every time you talk about Tom Brady wins, that's how it ends. Tom Brady wins. <laughs> and now the one like with even though I'll call them the next Tom Brady about 20 times in this podcast, I'm going against Mahomes. Like <laughs> there we go. Okay. Well, look, we'll see. One of us is right and one of us is wrong. That's the most fair way. And again, that just speaks to the interesting Super Bowl that it is when you break it down. I'm buzzing for this now. I'm so glad we had this chat. And I I hope we helped you guys enjoy it a bit more. Let's Touch on some Six Nations. We don't have that much time, but I do want to discuss it because it's an amazing first weekend. I want to kind of just touch on the three matchups, but I want to focus on what we should focus on because we're doing a weird preview of the Six Nations. Um, and, and and again, like we're previewing it after week one, but we don't really have answers as any great week one gives us because we don't know if what we saw means one thing or if it means the other. So that's the way we're going to look at it. The three matchups. France, Ireland, of course, started it off one of the most, one of the best Six Nations memory in, in recent history. Phenomenal. I think we're all nervous with, you know, Johnny Sexton and a new era, Peter O'Mahony's first game as captain. Um, was Ireland, Were Ireland going to be the same team they were walking into the World Cup or were they going to be a shell themselves? Uh, and again, they answered that with flying colours. Was, was Crowley going to be able to replace Sexton? And he answered it with fly, flying colours, particularly in the second half. So I guess the questions that we have from that are, 
which are you taking more? And again, obviously, both of these will probably be true to some extent. Do you think we should look at Ireland with Crowley replacing Sexton or just business as normal? They're still the best team in the world when you kind of weigh things out, not in a World Cup setting, and they're 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 just they've they've just hit the ground running. Or do you feel that France are the people that actually need to be worried? And that's actually the story that matters when we get to the Six Nations, of course. DuPont is out chasing his Olympic dreams. Um, so where where are you kind of how are you reacting to this? Which 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 way do you lean? I mean, it's 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 it must be horrible for everyone else to look at Ireland going, right, they've lost their talents, man. This is the chink in their armor. And look, they've got these all these young lads coming through, like these new fellas who haven't played Six Nations before, Calvin Nash, Joe McCarthy. Load of other people and look, they they were after cutting on to Andrew Porter at the scrum. Now here's our chance. They just come out and just do not dominate your biggest rival in the tournament in their own backyard. Caveat: fourteen men, of course, but and there were there were moments in the first half as well in particular where it looked a little bit hairy, but still came out record score in what we've done. If I was a French supporter, I'd be quite worried. Now we do need to talk about Dupont because losing Dupont. Is like taking Messi out of Pete Barcelona. Well, not Pete Barcelona, but when he was only the Messi show, where it's like you lose so much. It's not quite like losing Sexton in terms of how you play. It'd be like if you, we lost Jameson Gibson Park for the, like, again, not just positionally, but in terms of the impact he has on the game and how his team play. They had a lot of injuries as well, but I'd be concerned then that our, uh, our, our French strength and depth is nowhere near what they thought it was. And then you look at Ireland's strength and depth and that's what people want it to be. That's what the French were probably hoping it would be. And they found out the hard way. That's not what it is. Mm. I loved, uh, I, I finished full contact. I didn't get a watch in time for the Six Nations, but I finished it there last night. And Italy are, if you watch Drive to Survive, Italy are the Haas of full contact. You know what I mean? They come close to doing something, but in the end, they just never achieve anything. But they, they did it again. They were so true to form against England, racing out to an early need uh, and then being pegged back. And the score was 24-27, but that's flattering. It was padded by a late Italy try. Um, how are you kind of weighing that up? Italy, have, have they come out swinging under the new coach or was England's World Cup a fluke and they're back to being bang average again as they were last season? I mean, in terms of how, how again, both camps will be feeling, I think Casada will be so annoyed that after that really good performance, like, right, we've a chance to build momentum here. Where's our next fixture? Is it a nice trip to Murrayfield? Is it to the Millennium Stadium? No, it's to Ireland. So they've, those positives, uh, like, again, it, there is, I've seen a lot of people talk about it. It's like there is a point where Italy are going to have to stop being kind of like the luckless losers, where it's like you need to make that step up soon. Not soon. Like, we've seen it over the years. We've seen so many... This is the point now. Italy, they're gonna be, they're gonna be brilliant now in the next in the next couple of years. They're gonna have a nice World Cup scheme. Having said that, now I've watched the Ireland game in full and I watched the England game in full. We'll get to Scotland one in a minute. They had no real opportunity when England had done their comeback. England got the comeback fairly quickly and started the second half, and then just showed experience and just suffocated the way, like killed the game, killed any hope. It was like it's Steve Warwick, it's Kevin Sinfield on defense as a as a defense coach in and rugby. Uh, rugby league history and you can see exactly how that worked with uh shutting that game down and again professionalism professional performance like you say score pattern a little bit but England didn't knock it in a bonus point could cost them a championship could cost them uh a, a higher place finish in the championship as well they're like they're against bright shoots from Italy but like again of, of all the fixtures to get where you want like Ireland are just going to kill all them bright shoots before they even get out of the ground and we're going to start the whole cycle again England's not so concerned as I would have been 
Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a difficult first game. It's like in the darts in the World Championship. You want to just get out of the first week and get to the other side of Christmas. And England, unfortunately, did that as much as it would have been. Imagine Italy were to get their big win against England. It was just so perfectly set up. But uh, yeah, then exactly what we thought would happen happened. Well, Scotland is a really int- like a, a, an absolute belter of a game. Obviously, with Scotland raced out to a twenty-seven nil lead. Wales pegging them back for twenty-six in the second half, but just couldn't get it to, get over the line in time. Um. Very difficult to know because you've got two of the most unknowable teams in the Six Nations. Obviously, you've got Louis Rees Samet and uh, missing. Uh, he's he's chasing his own NFL dream, uh, and then you have, of course, George North was missing for Wales uh, on on Sunday. Um, but then you have Scotland as well, like always, kind of highly tipping the World Cup, but they flatter to deceive. Are you taking this as kind of you know Wales are better than expected or Scotland are are worse than expected and they're actually they they should be worried how how do you read how do you read a match that starts twenty seven nil and finishes twenty seven twenty six it's 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 a mindfuck. You read it by it being fifteen against fourteen for the majority of those twenty six points in the second half, mm. and that is a situation like again on paper and if you just saw the BBC headline or OT headline would be like oh my god what happened there Scotland completely bottled it's like. Well, yeah, like 27-point lead nearly thrown out the window. Very similar to how Scotland pulled back a 31-point lead or a 27-point deficit in Twickenham a few years ago where it finished 31 all. Uh, and it was just a, a, a quick, like, kind of, like, a, a show that game, show either of these games to anyone who doesn't believe that momentum exists in sport. It does. It just does. Like, again, the yellow cards, I think, were key. Um, I think, it's, it, like, again, if you, with the extra man, obviously Warren Gatlin as well. Gatlin, Warren Ball, like... He'll just he'll he'll find a way. Like even even the last try of get a, as I mentioned, didn't watch this one live. Watch the extended highlights. It's just a case of right. We'll just tuck it up the jumper, get it from the line. I'll get it down, just barge over, and that that works. Like again, it's worked for Gatland in press, and you've seen him win grand slams with it. Obviously, you can't do it this year now. But again, when you're twenty seven nil down, and it would it would take a lot of uh, a lot of other teams would have just gone. Ah, sure, we, we might get one or two back, and then the yellow like a yellow card, you get your first try, and then suddenly momentum comes into it, and Scotland. Uh, I think Scotland five or six years ago probably would have let that game go as well, but they did show again that they were able to like just about repel it, but to repel it they did. They didn't lose that game when it was looking like I say, if you looked into betting odds when it went 27-26, it would have been Wales probably odds on to win the second thing. Um but again, Gregor Townsend has has them playing well resolutely enough. Uh and again has again would have been would have been would have been let go five years ago. Finn Russell won the stars full contact. Uh Finn hasn't watched that by the way. Easy, easy watching, brilliant. Yeah. Like again, uh, trying to get new fans into the sport, I think it will. Um, we shall hopefully see that in a few figures. But uh, again, no, no bonus point for Scotland winning, having gone twenty-seven nil up with three tries. It's like wow. So it really is falling into place for Ireland and that. And like, it's, like I know it would have been Ireland were the favourites anyway going into it. But like, if you're looking at it from a from a title alone point of view, forget about a Grand Slam for a minute. But a title alone is like, well, France are bottom with no points. Scotland and England didn't get a bonus point in Wales or Cardiff, and suddenly like. I fancy order to do anything that they wouldn't. So even from a title point of view, we could have it wrapped up by round five. Yeah. Clip that. <laughs> there you go. That will never come back to haunt you. No. Nope. <laughs> 100%. But what I love about the way this weekend is set up now is that when you look at the week two fixtures, initially when you would have kind of went out of the offset and said France are going to be raging coming into this tournament, they would they had a World Cup, kind of they believed they were the best team. They what of a reasonable argument to say they were the best team in the World Cup, but they just had a, a coin toss of a game against South Africa in the quarterfinals. Obviously, that amazing, incredible uh, game to perk us back up after our own disappointing loss in New Zealand. Um, but now, all of a sudden, 
you look at them going to Murrayfield on Saturday, and that's by far the game of the round. That's where, like, now they're very vulnerable away from home. Don't have a great record there either in recent years. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be great. I cannot wait. Uh, Six Nations for any points. Kendall, uh, we're running out of time, but I do want to get your, your thoughts. I want to stick it to the mast, and I want to get another clip of a clip. Ireland Grand Slam, is it nailed on, or is there a bit of road to run yet in the Six Nations? I'm not going to say nailed on, but the only thing that could trip us up is Twickenham, and we have a good record in Twickenham, and Andy Farrell, like again, it's, it's one of them things where it'll be a defensive game if it is, but Ireland's teams can't seem to stop us from recently scoring so good luck to them if France couldn't do it on their home patch I don't see how England are going to be able to yeah, I agree. It's and and if something, I think something goes wrong if we don't win a Grand Slam here. Um, and I would not have had that confidence going into Friday. But amazing, we're back. We're back. It's never been done. Back to back Grand Slams, literally never been done in the history of Six Nations. And we're going. Oh, it's disappointing if we don't do it now. On yeah. You give us a, give us a, a look at give us a, a let us be seen on Netflix and and we're all over it. Like we're just showing off now. Um, Kendo, always an absolute pleasure to discuss sports with you anytime. Um, loving our Super Bowl bet. So we'll see uh, which one does and doesn't come true um, but yeah no Kento uh, but if you haven't already guys follow Kento on social media at Kento CCFC everywhere uh, buy a paper buy the Irish Examiner uh, where you'll see Kento's amazing work uh, continued there uh, occasional uh, darts columns as well now he's getting added in yeah, uh, a bit for, of everything for your room for uh, the first three months offer actually now you know, great rugby content as well Donald Lennon is absolutely fantastic Yes, there you go. Okay, Kento, uh, cannot recommend all of that enough, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kento. Uh, we'll talk more ourselves during the week and we'll chat here again on page 180 very shortly. That's all the time we have this week on page 180. Next time, Star Jairs returns as Jerry is back to discuss the three-episode premiere of The Bad Batch and all things Star Wars. Plus, I'm going to catch you up on some of the TV that I've been watching in the meantime. Until then, this has been page 180. I've been Jer Leggett. Subscribe on socials if you haven't already. Links are in the show titles wherever you're watching this. But in the meantime, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Rest in peace, Carl Weathers. Thank you for the memories. You absolute legend. You will be very sorely missed. Hey, let's make the baby do the magic hand thing. Come on, baby. Do the magic hand thing. I'm out of ideas. Dylan! You son of a bitch. Alligator bit my hand off. Oh, my God. Yeah, tournament down in Florida. I hooked my ball in the rough down by the lake. Damned alligator just popped up. Cut me down in my prime. He got me. But I tore one of that bastard's eyes out, though. Look at that. <laughs> You're pretty sick, Chubbs. He's hooking. Damn, Rod, come on! What's the matter with you? Tomorrow. Let's do it tomorrow. There is no tomorrow!